hospital, this failure to forgive. We, weeks and weeks ago, I mentioned that if we're going to love like Jesus, we must be those who are willing to forgive. And so we considered last week this idea that we are not able to love like Jesus when we fail to forgive others. And we talked about the cross, and we talked about how if we are somehow uh, basking in the reality that uh, we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, but yet we're, forg- we're failing to forgive those who have sinned against us, that's not like Jesus. And so we, we concluded that we need to turn around to see the cross anew. This is, this is that idea that if, as we use this symbol of the cross behind us in the window frame there or on the front of this pulpit to just remember, listen, there is a need for us to look upon the cross anew, fresh, every day. And this terminology may or may not communicate depending on how long you've been with us and, and, and how I come across. But this is basically saying we need to remember the gospel. The gospel is what changed our lives if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is what will change your life if you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. Every, any given Sunday, we have a mix of people that come in this room. And my, my passion is to know that people are understanding the gospel for what it truly is. It is a reality that God forgives sin. So we need to turn around and see the cross anew. And, and I, I, this is, I think, where we actually finished last week. Christians must face the reality that they will wander from the cross if they don't keep their eyes on it. And I'm not talking about just physically looking at the, the emblem that, that, that stands before you today. This is the reality that we need to remember the gospel. If we are somehow forgetting this principle that we value, which is gospel motivation, it's the idea that it motivates everything we do. This is one of the, the nine uh, principles that we value that, that we shared with you uh, months and months ago, but it's the idea that the gospel is for every person at every moment. What does that mean? It means we can never lose sight of the gospel. When we talk about the cross of Christ, when we talk the power of the cross, when we talk, it's all pointing to Jesus and what he accomplished. And the reality of this particular truth is that you need the gospel today whether you feel like you do or not. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about obstacle number two, obstacles and overcoming, uh, overcoming obstacles that, that uh, hinder us from loving like Jesus, right? And so this is, this is obstacle number two. And before I give it a title, let's just go ahead and, and share some things here. Some Christians see the cross very clearly. Now we talked about if we don't want to fall in, uh, fail to forgive others, we've lost sight of the cross. There are some Christians who see the cross very clearly, but they fail to recognize the power of the cross in their own lives. And what do I mean by that? Well, we're going to build on on this idea. We are not able to love like Jesus when we fail to forgive ourselves. I'm just going to pause for dramatic effect for a moment and let you sink, let this sink in. Obstacle one is the idea of failure to forgive others. Now we're going to talk about this idea that this, what does it mean to, to, to forgive ourselves? Well, actually, I'm going to uh, take exception to those words. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to talk about those words, but that's not the obstacle that we need to overcome. Although these words reveal something very deep going on within people, 
This, that's not the obstacle. When, why do people feel they can't forgive themselves? All right, so well, let's talk about this. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard someone say, I just can't forgive myself. What is going on in their lives that they don't feel like they can forgive themselves? When they, when they voice that, they're not lying. They're not, it's not that they're theologically incorrect. It's just that they're exposing the reality of their heart. They're saying, I am coming up short with the idea that how this insurmountable thing has happened in my life, and I can utter the words in full conviction, I cannot forgive myself. So I thought of a few reasons why people may come to that conclusion. First one would be a heinous sinful act. Right? Some sin that was committed, and, and, and it's not just your... your uh, Day-by-day sin, right? It's not the sin that they were like, you can't get over that. What's your problem? This is a, uh, I, uh, I, I don't actually want to put a name on it, all right? Because I, I don't want to necessarily narrow in so, to focus this. But I, I, I mean, I have to give an example. Uh, a heinous sinful act might be the act of abortion. The killing of another life. Maybe it's actually... Maybe it's actually the taking of another life in some other fashion where it's a sinful act, a heinous sinful act. Prior to coming to Christ or even after coming to Christ, you have this, this thing happened in your life and you're saying, I just can't forgive myself. Maybe it's a, a terrible accident. Uh, I was thinking, and this is, I, li- I'm, I like to be transparent. I, I actually just let's let you know who I am, but... I was thinking as I was just driving home while you were sitting here listening to Ricky, because I forgot my computer, thought about the young man who was on the, the uh, evangelistic team, the coffee evangelistic team, who forgot his phone at the beginning of a, of a service that they were doing. And whether it was on his way to the hotel to get the phone or on his way back, he was in a single car accident and stepped into eternity. That went through my mind, Right? It's a, it's a terrible accident, you know? What, what if that man's wife had the one that forgot his phone and, and, and he went home to go to get, to get his phone and, and somehow she's uttering, the, I, I just can't forgive myself for, for forgetting my phone. Look what happened as a result. Maybe it's a, a necessary decision. I, I think of the, the police, the military, uh, first responders, doctors, nurses, but a decision has to be made. And because of that decision, some horrible thing happened. I know personal stories of people who have made decisions on the battlefield, and as a result, there was what we call, or what is called, collateral damage. They had to make a command decision on the field, or a life-saving decision on the field, and as collateral damage, there's a, a, a child that's been killed. That was not intended, but a decision had to be made, and the consequences are unbearable. All these are real. All these are are, are areas of life that I'm familiar with, and you are probably too as you interact with people. Maybe it's a combination of the above, because you can see how one could lead to another without any problem whatsoever. And then my last idea of why do people feel they can't forgive themselves is there's reasons I couldn't possibly think about that you might be thinking about right now. And so if you've thought of another one, if you've lived another one, 
Please pay attention as we go through. When people feel they can't forgive themselves, they may conclude a few things, right? They may conclude that God will not forgive them. I've heard those words. I'm sure you have too. Pastor, chaplain, you don't understand what I have done. God can't forgive me. I'm on my way to hell. And then there are others that believe that God should not forgive them. No, what I did, God shouldn't forgive me. God should send me to hell because what I have done, you just can't imagine. And, and it's, because, it's this huge thing in their life. They may conclude that God does not care or he would not have allowed whatever happened to happen. And God's love and character come into question. So when people feel they can't forgive themselves, these, these are just a few and there may be others. But as we continue, I want you to understand, we are not able to love like Jesus, not because we fail to forgive others. We are not able to love like Jesus until we receive his forgiveness. If whatever I've mentioned up to this point is true for you, this is the obstacle. Obstacle number two is failure to receive forgiveness. This is an obstacle for us to love like Jesus. Because if we can't receive his forgiveness, how in the world are we supposed to love others and tell them about his forgiveness and to love them as we've talked about over the weeks in all these different ways if somehow we are shipwrecked in our faith? When we fail to receive forgiveness, we diminish the cross of Christ. And the, when, we, when we fail to forgive others, we've lost sight of the cross. Because if we've been forgiven, we ought to forgive others. In this particular obstacle, this failure to receive forgiveness, it's the idea we're diminishing the cross of Christ. We're not diminishing the actual wood. We're, dis, we're diminishing what it stands for. The forgiveness of sins. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel. That's the obstacle when we fail to receive his forgiveness. So how can we avoid this obstacle? That's what we're going to be talking about the rest of the time this morning. How can we avoid this obstacle? Well, we need to remember how we first met Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Peter. Peter's a great example. We, we identify with him in so many different ways. Uh, and we're going to look at his life. So we're going to, we're going to we're gonna, uh, I'm going to tell you the different steps, and then we're going to go through his life. We need to remember how we first met Jesus, if we're going to overcome this obstacle. We need to remember how we failed Jesus. We need to understand how we unbearably failed Jesus. That's talking about this unforgivable sin that, we think that we've committed. We need to remember that Jesus forgives all sins. If you, don't, if you have to leave early, there you go, all right? And then watch the video later, but that's, that's the outline of, of the day. So let's talk about this idea that we need to remember how we first met Jesus. Do you remember the day you were saved? We heard testimony already, right? Genesis 15, the moment that, that Chris realized that, 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 that covenant between God and Abraham was all done by God. God passed through the animals. God, uh, as the fire you know, passed through in that vision, I'm not going to go into that, that prophecy. Please study it, Genesis 15. This is off the cuff because I'm so thankful that he brought that up because God did all the work. But we need to remember how we first met Jesus. What was the context that you were in? I was in college, living the college life. As brief as my rebellious season of life was, it was there and Jesus met me. Where did you meet Jesus? As we look at Luke 5, 
uh, 8 through 11. We already studied, we already read this. This is a scripture reading. I just pulled a portion out of it uh, this morning. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. This time with the great, the great co- collection of fish, right? The great catch of fish. Saying, depart from me, for I am sinf- a sinful man, O Lord. Notice, Peter immediately went for his sin. He was like, oh, I'm in the presence of something mighty. I'm in the presence of something I can't comprehend. I'm in the presence of a man of God. And my sin has come to the surface. And I'm saying, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all. And what did they do? They followed him. So let's think about, let's consider these, uh, this passage. When we remember how we met Jesus, we should remember a few things that we just saw depicted in that story, in that part of Peter's life story. One, how guilty we felt about our sin. I don't believe anyone comes to faith in Jesus Christ without some feeling and recognition of guilt about their sin. Why, why does a person need to get saved? You remember the story I asked this young lady you know, just before I was getting ready to, to conduct her baptism in front of the church body on a Sunday evening service. And, and I, I usually listen to testimonies. And I said to this young lady, I asked her, I was like, so can, can you tell me uh, about your, your, can you give me your testimony? And she just was silent. And I'm like, oh, this poor girl, she's scared out of her mind. You know, young, older teenager, young 20s. She's scared out of her mind. Can you just tell me why you need to get saved? And her name, those words just haunt me. She said, I've been meaning to ask someone about that. She didn't understand the gospel. She wasn't at that moment able to, to voice the words of life and say, listen, I met Jesus here and I recognized that my sin was, was uh, against him, against God and God alone. And, and I need forgiveness. That didn't come out of her mouth. It did later. And she was baptized. But at that moment, she had no sense of guilt about her sin that, was, that she could vocalize. I broke down in tears. Some of you may have gotten angry. Some of you may have just been rejoicing because as soon as you realized the truth, you were like, oh, my word, my sins can be forgiven. Praise God. It's not about our emotional response. It's about the reality of what this, that this sin is. And Peter says, for Jesus, leave me. I'm a sinner, right? Depart from me. I'm a sinner. And what does Jesus do, right? He doesn't cast Peter aside, and he didn't cast us aside either. When we come to a recognition of our sin, Jesus does not cast us aside. He embraces us. So when we remember how we met Jesus, we'll remember our sin, we'll remember his forgiveness. And then then we should also remember, just like Peter, that we are called to follow him. Now, we didn't necessarily hear the audible word saying, follow me, when we got saved. I didn't. But I had an instant recognition that something had changed in my life. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And I had this new life. And all of a sudden, I was, res- I was doing things that I would never have done before because I was committed to this idea of following Jesus. And I did- hadn't even necessarily read these portions recently. Right? I grew up hearing all about the Bible and reading it myself at different times. But... Listen, folks, if you have been called to Christ, you've been forgiven for your sins, you are called to follow him. That's what being a disciple is all about. 
As we go on in Peter's life, we see we need to remember how we failed Jesus, as, as Peter remembered, right? So in Matthew 26, right, we're going to a different portion here, we see, and when they had sung a hymn, this is talking about the, just after the, the, the Last Supper, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, all of you, I do not know why that is crossed out. It's supposed to be underlined, all right, like everything else. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Jesus is informing them of a truth. He's saying there, there is a, something's going to happen tonight, and all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, that's a glitch with the program, because I should not be doing that. I will go before you to Galilee. Notice uh, as we go into the story, as we, as we consider what's going to happen in the lives of the disciples, right? They're going to meet Jesus in Galilee in just a little bit. But I wanted to highlight that for you to remember, right? Before I have been raised, Jesus is talking about, listen, I'm going to die. Before I've been raised from the dead, I will go before you. Um, I'm sorry, after I've been raised from the dead. I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, notice he's responding to the previous statement. This previous statement that all of you will be made to stumble. Because of me. Peter comes on the scene and he says, he says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. This is important information for us to understand what's going to be happening here shortly. But we need to remember how we have failed Jesus. Now, now Peter right here hasn't failed yet, except for his boasting and his pride maybe. Uh, I'm sure he was heartfelt, and this was, he believed this to be true. But as we go on in the text, it says, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. We know this story. Peter said to him, look, he, he's, he's basically getting in Jesus' face, and he says, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. It's interesting. Does, does Peter think that Jesus doesn't know the future? And so, so said all the disciples. That's, that's an interesting little addition to, this, uh, to uh, the story that we may not have considered. Once Peter was as the leader, he says, and all of them are like, oh, I wouldn't do it either. I wouldn't do it either. But Jesus' words still hold true. As we consider Matthew 16, uh, 23, it says, But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, right? Talking about the ways that, that Peter has failed Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And, he, and, and Peter says, no, Lord. And Jesus rebukes him. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Those words, I'm sure, hurt Peter. But Jesus didn't say the words to hurt him. He said it, he told Peter these things to understand his failure, to understand what God was going to do. In John 18, 10, we see then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? I mean, we often applaud Peter. Like Jesus, Peter said, listen, I'll stand by you. And, and honestly, Peter stood by him. I mean, he went so far as to be violent and struck off the ear of Malchus. But notice, it did not please Jesus. He failed Jesus because Jesus said, listen, put your sword in your sheath. Shall I not drink of the cup which my father has given me? This is the will of God, Peter. I told you it was going to take place. It's taking place. 
Let it take place. Put your sword away. When we remember how we have failed Jesus, we remember, one, how guilty we felt about our sin, right? When we fail, are we happy that we failed? I don't know what kind of, kind of sin and areas of, of life that you might sin in. I, I, you know, there, we can pick any number and, and be accurate. They'd all be illustrative of, of, of this point. But can I just ask you to consider this? How guilty do you feel when you sin? When you fail Jesus, when you know his expectation for your life and you actually go a different way, when's the last time you pulled a Jonah? And you knew he wanted you to do this, but you did this instead. And you ran from the Lord. Or you, you, you somehow rationalized, well, it's really not that big of a deal. Is it sin? Then you failed Jesus. When you remember how you failed Jesus, we ought to remember how Jesus does not cast us out. It, it should be in the present tense, right? Uh, or in the past, right? In the past, when you have failed Jesus, he didn't cast you out, did he? No. That's what we talk about when we're talking about forgiveness of sins. That's what we're talking about, how the gospel is for everyone at every moment. It's not just for coming to faith in Christ. It's for that sustaining faith that we have in Christ, knowing that there is no sin that we have ever committed that's beyond the payment of Jesus Christ that he paid on the cross. Jesus does not cast us aside. That's the good news of the gospel. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. This was what, what came to my mind. When we, when we remember how we failed Jesus, we ought to remember that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. That's what Peter thought. You know, Jesus, don't go. Get thee behind me. Jesus, let me chop off the ear. Put your sword back. Peter had a completely different idea about what God intended to happen and what Jesus was supposed to be doing. And Jesus put him in his place but didn't cast him off. And I think this is uh, just Isaiah 55, 8 is one of those verses that should come to mind on a regular basis. We are leaning on our own understanding oftentimes, which can lead to sin or at least lead to misunderstanding. So thirdly, as we consider, uh, we need to remember how we unbearably, unbearably, hopefully I spelled that right, I did, unbearably failed Jesus. This is that area that may not be true of all, everyone in this room. It may be true of no one in this room. I guarantee you it's true of people in your lives. We have failed Jesus. We know that. We're sinners. We know God's grace is sufficient to cover our sin. But when you're thinking about that heinous sin you committed, when you think about that horrible accident, when you think about that, that costly decision, and you utter the words, whether audibly or in your heart, I just can't forgive myself. We need to receive the forgiveness, and we need to remember how, unbearably, how we unbearably failed Jesus. What I'm asking you to do is if this is true of you, or if you encounter those, or this is true of others, help them to remember this unbearable sin in every gritty detail. Don't sugarcoat it, because they might not get over it. If someone comes to you and says, I've never told this to anyone before, but, and they tell you about this horrible sin, this bad decision, and any other reason that they might be sharing this with you, walk down the road with them and allow them to talk about how they believe they have unbearably failed Jesus. Their heart is aching. It's agonizing because of what they have done. 
As we look at Matthew 26, 69, this is that passage of Scripture which really makes this point. This idea that how in the world could I be forgiven for this? What, what is Peter so guilty of? Well, we know from the text, and you probably have already anticipated this. Now, Peter, Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out into the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth, but he again denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you, Peter. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Jesus knew what he was talking about. Jesus knew the future of Peter. He knew the sin that Peter would commit. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Do you think Peter had this hanging over his head? Do you think this was hanging on his heart? Do you think that he would give anything at that moment that he realized what he had done? Do you not think he would have loved to have taken back the words? You ever said words that you wish you could take back? I've done it many times. I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I hurt a widow. I did not know she was standing beside me. It's the one that just haunts me to this day. The idea that I'm talking to another person and I said something that was not the kindest thing to say. I'm a pastor at a church, okay? I'm talking to one of the other pastors. I had just finished meeting with this lady and she left and she came back and she was standing before, behind me and I shared with him what was on her heart and why, why she came, and I did not communicate in a very nice way. It wasn't vulgar, but it wasn't nice, and she heard every word, and then his eyes went real big. I turned around, she was there, and she walked away, and I've never been able to say I'm sorry to that lady. It, it, it's one of those things. You just wish you could take the words back. You, you, honestly, you wished it never happened, but the fact is we are sinners, and this is what sinners do. We hurt people. We, we do different things. And all sin is a defense to God, but it certainly affects those around us as well. So when we remember how we unbearably failed Jesus, if that's true of you, we realize how guilty we still feel about our sin. We can't let it go. That's why we're uttering the words, I can't forgive myself. We don't understand why Jesus does not cast us aside this is, the, this is the truth, that somehow the gospel is not true for me at this moment. Oh, Pastor, you can say the gospel is for everyone at every time, every moment. Yeah, 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 I get that. Yeah, gospel motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't lived my life. You haven't hurt the people I hurt. You haven't mistakenly uh, done something that has changed the course of life for everybody in that family. You don't understand. I understand Jesus should cast me aside. Chaplain, I, I can't, I'm not worthy of the, of the forgiveness of God. I saw that child bloody and broken, and I did it. 
God not only can't forgive me, he shouldn't forgive me. I deserve hell. Folks, that's unbearable. This is the weight people are carrying around in our world today. So we need to remember that Jesus forgives all sins. We do. This is, this is for us. Jesus forgives all sins. As we go into John 8, verse 6, we see, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is another way of saying uh, the Sea of Galilee, the, the Sea of Gennesaret. It has multiple names. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter. Um, I'm sorry, I think I messed. And in this way he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. We're familiar with this. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the, other, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Then Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although they were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he had raised him from the dead. I I wanted to read that portion because it's it's the portion that comes just before this final portion we're going to look at. Second to final. I just realized there's another one after that. This is the third time Jesus has appeared to the disciples. He's appeared to Mary. He's appeared to others. But this is the first time, the third time that he's appeared to this, this group, this group of seven. And, and he's, he, is, uh, he is ministering to them. And there's all kinds of insights and questions about what happened here. Why 153 fish? Why did they count them? Personally, my thought is they wish they had counted them back when this first happened, when they called, when Jesus called uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and, uh, to follow him, and they had that miraculous gift of, shit, uh, of fish, and, 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 uh, and they're probably thinking now, hey, it happened again. Let's count them this time, all right? I don't know. We don't know. We don't know why the number, and it's not important. It's not the point of the message. It's not the point that, that's being drawn out from this. And the point is, Jesus is on the scene. And he goes to Peter and he says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Who are the these? There's three different possibilities. Do you love me more than uh, the fish? Do you love me more than the... Um, do, you, do you love me more than these other people love me? The other disciples? 
Or the third one, which I think is the most likely, do you love me more than these other disciples? Why would Jesus ask such a question? Though all deny you, I will not stumble. I will not deny you. Peter said that in front of all the disciples, and then they followed suit, but he was the first offender. That was a boastful, boastful question, boastful statement. And and so Jesus comes on the scene. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these other disciples? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Why do you think he was grieved? I mean, if he wasn't grieved, Jesus was just repeating himself. Uh, Is something wrong with Jesus? He keeps asking me the same question. Does he have dementia? Is he forgetful? Short-term memory issues? What's going on? No, he's grieved. Why? Because he knows he knows what he did in the past, and it was unbearable. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Remember that? Peter got in Jesus' face twice, saying, no, 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 Jesus, it's not that way. And now he's humble to say, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spake, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Do you see the bookends of Peter's life? He was called to follow Jesus. And he was reinstated for what purpose? To follow Jesus. When we remember that Jesus forgives all sins, we realize we do not need to bear what Jesus has already forgiven. Believe this for yourself. Help others understand this. We do not need to bear what Jesus has already forgiven. We don't need to carry this weight of sin, this guilt, and all that. Because if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. All sin is forgivable. Our forgiven sin has not disqualified us from following Jesus. How often do we see believers and they they carry this burden of sin with them. They recognize the gospel. They they know Jesus loves them and they love Jesus. But they they are carrying this unbearable weight. And what we need to help them understand and what you need to understand is that our forgiven sins are not disqualifiers from following Jesus. Our unrepentant sins are to a point. We need to come to the cross and we need to, we don't lose our salvation but listen, how are you supposed to follow Jesus in faith and how are you supposed to follow Jesus and present the gospel when you are diminishing the cross? You're diminishing what Christ has done. Confess your sins. Let God forgive you of your sins because a forgiven sin is just that. It's forgiven. Your slate has been wiped clean. You are not disqualified from following him. Why do people feel that they can't forgive themselves for all these different reasons that we've already covered? All right? When we receive forgiveness, no matter which one might be true of us, we proclaim the power of the cross of Christ. 
when we receive forgiveness. Yes, we must forgive others, but we need to accept and receive the forgiveness that is found only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to do it to get saved, and we need to do it every day of our life. Acts 20, I'm not going to go into this for the sake of time, but I'll, I'll just, this is the, the portion of Scripture where, uh, where Paul, excuse me, where Peter is standing before, it's the day of Pentecost, and he goes out there and notice what he says at the very end. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Scared little Peter of a, of a servant girl, correcting Peter, correcting Jesus when a, no, now he is, he, is, he is following Jesus boldly as we are called to follow him. When a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, that, because pers- person, excuse me, that person becomes, look, look at this. This is true of you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning. You become a child of God, John 1. You, you are a co-heir with Christ, a joint heir with Christ, Romans 8. And you are an ambassador for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. So with these amazing truths present in our hearts and in our minds, right, the two places that really we need to allow the Word of God to just wash through and wash over us, how is it that we often doubt our worth in God's eyes? How is it that we come to the conclusion we're not worthy of His forgiveness? Because we are sinners, and that's what sinners do. We need to remember the gospel. God forgives our sins. That is what He does. So as we conclude today, the the invitation is this. Receive the forgiveness of God and take that next step step of faith, whatever it is, whatever it is, which he is calling you to uh, so that you can follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for just the power that it brings to lives. Father, I'm so thankful that we can look upon the cross and know that you are not honored any longer. You died. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he's coming again. And we believe that gospel, Father. But there are times where we are so blinded by the world, blinded by what's going on in our lives, that we fail to apply the gospel, and we fail to receive the forgiveness that you so freely give. Father, I do pray that you would help all those who are struggling in this area of forgiveness. May their souls turn to you in repentance and faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.